you're tuned in to the Big Buck Theory. And this week, I sat down with Kyle Bentel. Kyle's a Southern New Hampshire guy. Um, he went on an absolute tear last year's season. He killed six bucks, five of them being with his bow, four of them scoring over 120 inches. Pretty unheard of. Um, he had a lot of good tips and tactics that he uses and you guys are really going to enjoy this one he's 23 years old as well so he just started hunting seriously in 2020 and uh it's pretty remarkable what he's been able to do so without further ado kyle bentel How's it going? Hey, how's it going, Isaac? <laughs> it's going good. Um, going good. Busy, busy shed hunting. <laughs> busy shed hunting. Yeah, me too. I haven't found any yet, though. It's a grind. It's not easy. No, it's I'm I'm well in. I'm I'm probably well past the hundred mile mark this this winter, and I haven't found one yet. I found a big old deadhead, but no antlers. Hey, there's there's two antlers on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, on the deadhead. But um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe your background, you know, your age, stuff like that? Sure. Yeah, so just to start out, my name is Kyle Bentall. Um, I grew up in a small town called Brookline, New Hampshire. There's like four to 5,000 people. Um, my parents, or I'm 23, so that's probably important to know, but I, young buck, obviously grow up. Yeah. Young, buck, good old boy. Yeah. Um, but I didn't grow up hunting. Um, my parents are from England. I was surrounded with the outdoors, um, growing up in New Hampshire and I had three older brothers that one of them liked to fish, but besides that, we were a very sports driven family. Any sport that you can imagine, we all played. And my brother had a best friend that was a big hunter and my dad already had a passion for guns and kind of just transitioned to, I grew up fishing. I was out in the woods shed hunting before I even hunted. Um, I was just following deer tracks in the snow and I would just get lost in the mountain laurel in my backyard, which is like a state forest. So I just grew up track, tracking deer. I would literally go to the town hall and like get a top, topographical map um from the the lady there at the city council just so i could like learn it which is like a weird thing for a kid to do but right so you're just you're kind of like you're naturally drawn to it in a way yeah i i don't know why that's just the way god wanted me to be i guess my parents joke that uh the day that i was born our neighbors took a picture of a moose in front of our garage yeah. And that's super rare where I live. So they were like, oh, that's a sign that you were going to be an outdoorsman or something. No kidding. That's cool. So that's interesting. I had, I didn't know your parents were from England. Do they have the full accent and everything? Um, My mom does. She's mom, from Liverpool. So she, she has the accent. She talks like this. 
Yeah. She says stuff like, I'll be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised. My dad, not so much. I'm surprised you don't have uh, any accent. Yeah, that's what everyone says. But in New Hampshire, we uh, kind of cancels out the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, so that's and my dad. If my if my dad did know, it would it would definitely I would definitely have it. Wow. So so you you've lived in the in the states your whole life. You were born in New Hampshire, then. I was. Yeah. Yep. So you totally came into the whole hunting thing wicked organically. You didn't have a lot of, um. I guess nope, uh, DIY. Yeah, yeah. So, who uh, who were your like mentors? Yeah. So, obviously, my dad took me out like once when I was like fifteen, but we didn't know what we were doing, and we basically just walked with a rifle and froze our butt off, and just absolutely suffered the few times that we went and never saw a deer. And when we did, it was when we were getting back to the car. So. We would basically just go to this uh, famous place called Parker's Maple Barn and just eat some food after. But uh, the guy that inspired me to become a hunter, he's actually my brother's uh, friend, his dad, and their whole family. They have a bunch of mounts. Um, They have a moose above their fireplace, and he's got a couple, like, 120, 130-inch bucks and a bear and stuff. So I grew up going there to parties and I would see all these mounts and I was just fascinated. Um, and that kind of just grew my addiction to being like, I want that. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of got me into it. And I was already outdoorsy. So that just, I got into shooting a bow before I even hunted. I shot a bow probably since I was, 10 years old, 12 years old, I would go to the uh, YMCA and take archery classes, all that sort of stuff. Cool. Cool. So you have a YouTube channel. That's how I found you, um, was your YouTube channel. And, um, how long have you been doing the whole YouTube thing now? (sighs) Seriously, probably a year and a half. Um, I made a couple videos, my first serious year hunting a couple years ago um, during COVID, but I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, And that was my first serious year bow hunting. And that was in New Hampshire. I killed a doe on the opening day. And then I didn't realize in New Hampshire, you were supposed to buy the special archery tag at the same time as the regular one. (laughs) And I wanted to keep hunting. So I decided to buy a Massachusetts license um, for out of state and uh, ended up going there. And that just exploded my passion. I ended up getting five deer with my bow all on public land there. And that first year? Yeah, in total. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, so it wasn't my first year hunting. I had a lot of mistakes. No, but that then, was but that was your first year seriously hunting. Um, that was my first year by by myself because my parents were stubborn and didn't let me but and that would have been 2020 right yep no kidding so well one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on was at the end of this past summer i saw you had posted on instagram you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this new england slam you know and uh which meant you basically you wanted to shoot a buck and like 
three states or four states or whatever it was, right? Am I am I getting that right? Yep. And I was like, you know, being honest with you, I was like, man, that is like a tall order. This guy is really putting a, a lot of pressure on himself, you know, and you did it. So this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on. I wanted to hear how, uh, just give me some stats from this year. Give me the stats, how you did. Yeah. So what do you want for specifics? Give, give me the stats, your bucks, what they scored, what they, whatever, all of it. Give them, give them all to me. Yeah. So the first buck was the early archery open for the islands and like the coastal setting in Maine. Um, so that buck scored 128 inches. Um, that was a very small body deer, but it had like piebald white socks feet, which is really cool. Yep. Um, and that buck came back at four and a half years old, uh, cause I sent, sent their teeth in. Yep. And then, uh, the next buck was a New Hampshire public land buck that I shot off a mock scrape. He ended up literally raking it with his feet got it all on film and then ended up taking a video of getting the kill shot because the camera was set up on the right side that time and yep. got the light lighted knock going right through him and that's some that one actually worked out incredible footage by the way thank you i appreciate it i, yep. it, I was a little bit more calm because i'd passed him four times previous but wow okay I, I uh i that was about two miles in so i uh wow. i did I didn't lug my camera in every time, but I got two other times filming him and I had him on the scrape like every other day uh, throughout the summer, just coming through. He was very predictable. He'd come in with like a three point and then I, I was in there for a bigger deer, but he just never would come in. I called him Whitey. Yep. He's like a six year old deer. That's like a six point and just like probably 20 inches wide. Yeah. Um, no kidding. But just, just an old New Hampshire warrior, just, never would grow a rack for the life of him, but he was an old deer. So I tried to get him, but he would never come in. So, uh, ended up going for the, the forky to get New Hampshire off the checklist. Yep. Um, and then moving on after that, let's see, I injured a buck. I shot him in the shoulder and never could find him. And that was in mass. Oh, that was after I got my first one. Sorry. So then I went to mass on the opener I had planned the most I had ever planned for a deer uh, for Massachusetts. And it was almost a two hour drive with traffic. And I would go three times a week to try to find and relocate this buck scout everywhere I could. I ended up finding him originally on a public land piece where there was seven tree stands. So he was getting hunted very heavily. Um, lots of trail cameras out more of a suburban rural type area. Yep. And when I found that buck, I just saw how massive his body was. And he had a really cool non-typical rack for the people that have seen the photos. He had like a double brow tine. Um, and double ended up splits. That guy. It was a, I believe it was a full moon phase, uh, the third day of it. And it was just perfect weather. So I went into his bedding area um, right on the edge where he would feed on these white oaks, there was a primary scrape and probably 20 scrapes within 50 yards. So I knew that that's where they were going to go to. Yep. And I had a cell camera there that was going off all day. And I was like, 
I wish it opened September 15th, like New Hampshire, because like he would have been dead a hundred times over. Yeah. Um, but it just it didn't work out that way, and I got in there two hours before sunrise, which I almost never do. Yeah. Um, but but I just committed to it and got out there and one really nice buck came through then a small one came through i had to pass those two and then i knew i heard a tree start shaking and i was like what the heck is that and then i just see this giant body come out and i'm like okay i think that's him so i pull back my bow and before i even get the camera around the tree you can hear me going normally you would be drawn by the time you say but i wasn't i pull back he's about 15 yards and i just piped him and it went right through him uh thought i made a bad shot he ended up only going 100 yards and he ended up dressing at 220 wow that's a big big body yeah it's the biggest body buck i've uh i'd ever killed and probably ever will (laughs) what did well you never know after a season like that i I don't um what at least with a bow (laughs) what did he score uh he scored 147 and like seven eighths Wow. Is what they use in the book as. Wow. Okay. And then after that? After that, I hunted really hard in New Hampshire uh, for muzzleloader season. Didn't have any luck. Um, I had a lot of encounters with small bucks. I ended up not seeing a deer, gosh, for maybe a week I didn't see a deer. Um, and then I didn't end up seeing a buck for two weeks of that. And then I ended up spooking a couple, checking all these different bedding areas. And this year I had a lot of areas destroyed in New Hampshire because of like clear cutting um, or people developing, which is like a common problem a lot of people can relate to in New Hampshire. Right. Uh, southern New Hampshire. There, yeah. Southern New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, and then in central New Hampshire, I have a lot of good spots in the big woods where I was going, but yep. I was after a 12 pointer and he travels five to six miles like a day. Wow. <laughs> so he's, he's very unpredictable and buddy has a shed off him. And anyway, so I chased him, didn't have any luck. And I decided to go back to mass, went into the suburbs, ended up shooting one in the shoulder. Uh, this big eight point I knew about all summer filmed him all year round. Um, ended up not finding him. And he survived because he showed up a week later. Um, And then after that, I ended up the rifle season open for New Hampshire. And the third day of that, after tracking on dry ground, I I ran into probably seven other hunters. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, this is terrible. So I tried a new spot I had never been to and just went based off of topography and found a saddle set up with it near a, a swamp edge and took the longest poke I've ever taken with a rifle and got a, a really nice uh, nine pointer, tiny, tiny rack, uh, nine point, but he was like probably a three-year-old. Yep. Um, Moose was six and a half, by the way, I forgot to say that. And he was uh, the 220. Yeah. Yeah. So low he, kill he was from mass. Yep. Okay. So then you okay. killed a nine point in New Hampshire. So that's your that was your fourth buck. Yep. And then that was the fourth one. And then Sorry, af- there's so many I lose track. And then after that, um, and after that, I tried to hunt a giant ten point that came in. Didn't have any luck with him. Wouldn't get close enough. 
Uh, what was after that one? And we can we'll we'll break down some of these bucks afterwards. Uh, I just want to get the. Oh, okay, yeah. You know what I'm so saying. The, the next, the next one uh, was New Hampshire with my bow. And um, what was and that? That one, 123 to 127, depending if you do gross or net. Oh, gross, net netter for fishes. <laughs> 127. <laughs> 127 with the bow in New Hampshire. Yep. And that was so that was my final New Hampshire buck tag. That was buck number five. And yep. then. And then and after the, that, the last, <laughs> the last one was the the mega. I passed like a hundred and thirty inch eight point that that morning, um, and two other bucks to to shoot that guy, and he ended up going one sixty three. He shrunk, he, he shrunk four inches from the dry period. So, and uh, was that the, the was that the largest? bow kill and mass last year um that was the second largest second second biggest bow kill and mass it's like half an inch net wise behind the um what was the the hercules buck or whatever yep that one was like 162 net and i think mine's 161 net so close but uh but yeah he he had a just a, a pretty narrow rack, but he had 26 inch uh, main beams, 12 and a half inch G2s. He was just a yeah. really cool typical. They just don't get that perfect. Usually, a buck that ended up getting aged, he was eight years old. Usually, they get trash or something by that point. All right. No, that's a mega, mega giant. So, you killed, you killed six bucks in the Northeast last year, five of them. With the bow. Am I getting that right? Yep. That's 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 one for the books, my man. That's one yeah, for the and books. A, and a, a doe and mass, too. A doe and mass. So that is, is pretty incredible. Um, I remember as the season was going on and you'd post pictures of these deer, I a lot of times I'd be like, oh, he, that's, that's one he got before. You know, like the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then I'd be like, oh my God, that's another, he got another one. And he just, you kept piling them up. So, um, you know, congratulations on a phenomenal year. Probably one of the best years I've ever heard of out of anybody ever. Like that is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, being 23 years old, it's pretty incredible. So good for you yeah like i said i'm i'm extreme i'm a man of faith so i i believe that definitely god has a plan in it but also like people see on my stories and my other things like how much time i spend scouting um so i definitely definitely try to make a game plan but i have more time to hunt than other people if yep. I, if i had a family <laughs> i'd i'd be going to tracking i would be doing something where it takes a little, not less preparation, but less time hunting, right? Um, to try to to get out and make my time effective, just because bow hunting it, it takes so much preparation to like locate a buck that's moving everywhere, <laughs> and all the other hunters that you run into. 
Now you said you're a you're a man of faith. Do you think that helps you as a deer hunter? Not necessarily. Um, I think it just gives me more of a passion for the outdoors, and then mixed with my sports background, I feel like I can kind of suck it up more than some people. Right. Um, because ironically, I'm not the most patient person. I have ADHD. I'm I'm more of a spot and stock type person like Zach and kind of you. Yep. Um, but when it comes to bow hunting, for some reason, I can just sit my butt in that climber and just suck it up for hours on end. <laughs> yep. No, that's cool. And you're, and you're probably, you're not doing a whole lot of partying. Nope. I don't, I've never, never drank or smoked in my life. That's just. So that helps the, too. The way yeah, so you know, I have plenty of time. I'm not hungover in the stand or anything. <laughs> a lot of guys at 23 are, you know, hitting the bottle pretty hard. So I think that definitely benefit benefits you for the deer hunting. Yeah, I I am am very blessed in that standpoint. I, I was raised by good parents and had good brothers to uh, be good influences. So I think that had a big part. Um, to play in it and also I had a lot of good mentors like I, I mentioned um, one of them is Ricky Gallant so he's the guy that I told you about and then John Eberhart obviously a lot of people know him he was one of my biggest influences and I looked up his name on Google that's how I found his phone number and I just called him one day really <laughs> and uh, it, it ended up being him and he answered he said hi this is John and I was like <laughs> and uh, he was like my idol and I had never met him or talked to him and uh, I talked to him he he spent like 30 minutes on the phone with me and I was a nobody wow and I just I was asking him about primary bedding areas and all this different stuff and uh, he told me all about scent lock and I invested in scent lock in 2020 and gosh I used to get winded all the time and yep. I very rarely play the wind in my favor. I play it in the favor of the buck now, and that's just the way that I kind of hunt. Except for Moose, he would only come in on a a north wind. But wow, that he would only come on a north. Did you notice? This is kind of uh, off topic, but did you notice a lot of east wind this fall? This last fall. Um, you mean coming from the east? Yeah, coming from the east. Yeah. Um, it depended where I was in like Northern, well, not Northern New Hampshire compared to you, but North, North of Concord. Yes. But down where I was not as much. It was strange uh, around, around me this year. I noticed a lot of Eastern winds. I just, huh. it was weird. It, usually it, it's always predominantly out of the West and it just seemed like this year it was just a ton of East winds. So I don't know, end of the world or something. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse is coming yeah right the wind's coming out of the east and the, yeah. the bucks are all confused yeah, sitting yeah. down in their bed have, having to move three times the wind's not yeah. supposed to be this way that's how you killed all them bucks last year is that east wind <laughs> yeah man yeah. um yeah incredible season um what are your goals for next year oh gosh i honestly i'm I'm trying to get more of a stable job so I can support a future family. But uh, if yeah. I get time to hunt, I uh, I don't know. I've been talking to some people. I I want to go hunt Vermont and show it's very difficult, but it can be done that you can get a deer there and not be from there. But that will obviously be a very hard 
thing. I'll definitely hunt mass. Yep. For sure. That's a given. Um, but I don't know. I, I helped three people get their first deer this year. And I think that was more fulfilling than killing the 160 inch buck. Really? Just like the joy on people's faces. Like, of course I lost my absolute mind, <laughs> Yeah. but like the joy on someone's face when they're like, is it, is it down? Did I hit it? Did I hit it? And like freaking out, like that is the greatest thing. Like I, I got into the KBB thing came from this guiding business I did called KBB fishing. Um, so I would take kids out and teach them how to fish. Yeah. That's kind of like what jump started my passion of like taking other people is you just get to see like them build their passion for it. And that's one of the most amazing things about the hunting and fishing industry. And KBB is your YouTube channel. KBB Outdoors. KBB Outdoors. And that's also one of your Instagram pages, right? Yep. That's my Instagram. And then uh, the Bows, Bros, and Bucks thing is like a whole separate. That's I did podcast. a podcast basically for for content outside of the hunting season. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to talk after the podcast, uh, the Vermont thing. That would be really cool if you did that. Um, and I could pr- definitely point you in the right direction. And maybe we could do some collab stuff. Because I am yeah. a Vermonter. <laughs> yeah. I, when people try to, it's kind of funny since I've started doing social media uh, stuff. I hate that some people will be like, oh, I can send you some pins. Yep. It's like, I kind of want to figure it out on my own. Oh, yeah. That's just, that's the way I've always been. But when right. people like offer advice, it's so nice like for them to be able to do that. Because I love giving away spots to people that like can help them out so i really appreciate that yeah no and i meant more on the lines like if you want to come up and scout new ground or something we could do something maybe come up and do some tracking or something like that perfect because i do you guys get much snow during the season i do yeah quite a bit i mean as of lately we haven't gotten a lot of good snow but i'm kind of in the mountains so we usually we get it Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's, hit, it's hit or miss here. We either get two feet or two inches. So Really? Yeah, no, we – seems like the last few years when we get snow, it turns to crunch like really fast mm-hmm. because it seems like it snows and it's like 32 to 34 and then it just like warms up for a day and then it gets cold for like a week. That just seems like the trend as of the last few years, but – not like it, what it was when we were even kids. I know it sounds weird saying that because I'm not that old, but gosh, it feels like the snow is just getting less and less. Yeah, about 10 years ago, I can remember we'd get good tracking snow in the mountains and it would be good tracking snow, like good, fluffy, quiet snow for like a week, like easily yeah, a week, you know, and then maybe it would get crunchy, but then we'd get more. So, it, but it just seems like. As of recent, well, I mean, it's got to, the weather is constantly changing. So sure. it's, you know, it's, it's not something you can really nail down. And I think stuff's always changing, you know, so we just got to adapt. Especially in New England, we have a, a unique environment where it's not just hot or it's cold. It can change. And in an instant, the day after I killed moose, it went to 75 degrees on October 16th. That's crazy. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. For New England, but 
I don't know. Yeah, it just changes so much. So back to your first buck you got last year, the 128-incher in Maine. Now that expanded archery zone, that's something that's been interesting to me. I would like to dabble in some of that at some point. Do you want to tell me kind of how you you got up there and, and how you found that deer and how that all played out? Yeah, so that kind of was my own um, scouting. I, I did a bunch of scouting and mapping of like where these islands were and kind of checked on some Facebook pages of like where I could hunt um, up in those expanded archery zones. And I came across, came across a guy on Instagram. I'm not going to name him, but he, uh, he hunts out on one of the islands. And I was like, Hey man, like, do you have any advice? And he was like, dude, you can come set up a tent in my yard and basically like camp out here if you want to hunt on this Island. Um, and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, no worries. So (laughs) literally within a week, I, that was the preparation. I was going to hunt September 15th for the opener of New Hampshire, but I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to Maine. And I think it was the 11th that it opened or the 9th. I can't remember off the top of my head. September. Um, of September. Correct. Yep. Um, so I went up there and the hurricane was coming. Well, if you can even call it that, it didn't hit very hard, but it came up the coast to Maine and everybody was worried that it was going to be big. And I knew that that would get inclement weather gets bucks moving right before and right after, you know? Right. And, uh, and it was also the new moon phase and I don't do everything based on the moon i just do the new moon and the full moon three days before or three days after that's just what i do within those three days their bucks are moving and that's just a fact and the buck came through the saddle from a bedding area and i had switched spots mobile hunting a couple times that day on the islands a lot of the land is posted yep um but anywhere where it's not posted, you can hunt. And there's surprisingly more that you can hunt than people think. Um, you just got to be careful and stick to the rules. But I had a velvet six point like near a crab apple tree that I randomly found on this public land, which anyone from New England, that would be weird to hear crab apple trees on public. But that's just <laughs> apparently the settlers did that back then. Right. Um, we act- the I actually have a lot of. I have a lot of crab apple trees around around me up here in Vermont. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we don't have that down here in southern New Hampshire. Oh, like, no kidding. Public, but nope. It's just a bunch of oaks and hemlocks. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> but at least where I live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like what I focused on was scrapes and bedding. Um, so I honestly was just hanging and hunting. My buddy had gotten trail camera photos of a bunch of different bucks um in these areas and he kind of helped me out and he was like hey there's like some deer over here but he was like honestly just do what you think is right and just hunt wherever you want because part of me is like if i'm a good enough hunter i can be able to figure it out on my own (laughs) right and i didn't want someone just setting me up and i it just felt weird um so i did a lot of stalking on the ground and like still hunting and would set up but the mosquitoes were brutal. Um, it was right after it was basically raining on and off all day. The whole time I was there. Um, 
so right after the rain would stop, the deer would move, and then it would start pouring again. They'd slow down. Um, and then after switching to my third spot, I felt a gut feeling to get up in the stand. And probably 30 minutes before dark, it was like six something, this buck comes walking up a trail and he puts his feet out right where I was about to shoot in the shooting lane, puts his feet out and I see the white socks and he just sniffs. And I just had sprayed bug spray because I was like, I don't care that this is scent lock. I'm just dying up here. Yeah. So I, I sprayed it and he definitely smelled that. No kidding. He and smelled was like, the bug nope, spray. I'm not coming down that hill. Cause I was out. Yeah, because I was on a bench, and the scent was going right down towards him yep. uh, from the bug spray. And I was like, oh, gosh. So he tried to J-hook me like they do to scrapes, and he tried to cut me off to my left. Yep. And honestly, I didn't have a big window, and it was a prayer, but it was it was the biggest buck I had seen in New England, and it was at 20 yards. Well, not the biggest buck I had seen, but the biggest buck um, I had an opportunity to fling an arrow at. Most of them are out of range, and... I was like, okay, it's 20 yards and I have a clear shot. And I shot him right behind the shoulder, high lung. And luckily I double lunged him and uh, he ran off and just stood there at 70 yards. So at this point, most people would say like, or he ran to 15 yards. And most people would say, if you can get another arrow in him, try. Yep. Um, So I pulled back my bow, flung one miss because it was like, there was no angle, but I was trying to put him out of his misery. Yep. And he, he jumps up, runs about another 40 yards. So now he's like right out of a tree line um, on the edge of some grass. And you just see him panting. And I'm like, okay, hey, that's a good sign. And you look behind his shoulder and you see stuff hanging out of him. And I don't know how graphic you want me to be, but he was not doing too well. Right. Probably the craziest thing I've ever seen while bow hunting and, Normally, almost every deer that I've shot with my bow, they've all died either within sight or I've heard them crash. I've been very lucky to not have a lot of deer get injured. Right. Um, Only one, and that was this year. And the deer just stood there, and he started doing the shaking. He bedded down after 40 minutes, so it was pretty much dark at that point. And then he tried to get up. I got it all on film, and then he, he couldn't. He just couldn't, so he sat back down. So I snuck out of the stand quietly, and that was a brutal night of waking, waiting because I was just like, I don't know if he's dead or if he's going to bed, and I didn't want to push him and then have him run a couple miles, you know, yep. or sw- swim to another island. Like, right. that's the worst thing that happened is he goes, dies in the ocean, and then we never find him. Right. So then I was freaking out, went in the morning, and he went another 20 yards, and he piled up. He had he had a really cool rack because it was all chocolatey because he just he must have just sh- shed his velvet and uh, beautiful deer. Yeah, he was a beauty. And this is kind of a random question, but did the how the meat taste being on the ocean like that? It was fine. I've already eaten them all. So. <laughs> you must have to eat a lot of deer. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I also cook for a lot of friends and family. Just that people that haven't tried it before. Yeah, kind of introduce them to it or trick my sister-in-laws to eat it (laughs) that's funny i was just always kind of curious if the deer tasted any different being on the on the coast because they must eat a lot of like vegetation like that they must eat like 
like seaweed and stuff like that too, right? Yep. Yeah, there there's some stuff that they'll they'll eat from that and that's why part of the reason I think they get so big besides genetics and age is the minerals and stuff, but that's a whole different uh, conversation if you want the biology behind it, but it's, there's a lot of big deer in Maine, more than people think. There is, and I think a lot of the biggest antler deer are along the coast. Oh, 100%, yeah. There, there's some big ones. Yeah, definitely. At once, once you get in the suburban environment as and a buck that can swim 10 miles out to an island or wherever, I mean, these these bucks can get to crazy ages, where, especially when there's islands that nobody can hunt. Um, you just get a bigger age class, and that's what it takes to get a big rack. For sure, yeah, age is everything. And, yeah, you're right with that suburban-type stuff and – and that's so crazy that those deer will swim across like 10 miles, like you said. That's just like, I feel like a lot of people don't even realize they do that. Oh, no. It's pe- people don't understand. There's been videos of people on ferries that see a buck like doing a 16 mile journey every year, the same buck, like he was collared. Wow. Like crazy stuff. Yeah. That's incredible. I there, think there was one, a, a river, what was it, the Tennessee River or something, that, or Columbus River, one swam across it like multiple times a week. And it's that's probably like a mile wide or something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's not 10 miles, but. No. It's yeah. It's still, enough. it's a big, yeah, it's crazy. I've seen, there was pictures floating around at one point of a buck that was like, I forget the, it was like 20 miles off, off the coast in like Lake Superior. I want to say one of the great lakes. Gosh. And it was like a boat out there and they just, it was like an eight pointer. It was just out there just swimming. <laughs> it's like, what is he doing out there? When they're horny and dumb, they'll do some crazy. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Just like the, people. The will to survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just like <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder if a uh, deer's ever been ate by a shark. That would be real. antlers inside a cavity of a shark. Yeah, right. Well, they probably wouldn't eat the antlers, but I, I just wonder. No, I mean, yeah. they, they've they probably been huh. been chomped up by a great white that's up there in the summertime, right? Because they do make it up there. Yeah. They're all over Cape Cod and all over those places. So, I mean. Man. Yeah, there was a. That, was, <laughs> that would be. That's crazy to visualize. Right? <laughs> just a great white chomping down on a mature white tail yeah well i mean there was a a shark attack a fatal shark attack in maine i want to say it was 20 it might have been 2020 or 2021 really yeah because my wife's cousin lives up there kind of on the coast and it was like just north of her and yeah it was crazy it was in like a bay Wow. And, and it was like the first fatal shark attack in Maine in like a hundred years or something crazy. Huh. Yeah. And they said that they thought that was a great white. Wow. Yeah. I, that doesn't surprise me. I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of scuba diving. So, I mean, I would see sharks all the time, but the only time I've ever visually seen a great white, it was off the coast of Cape Cod. But. No kidding. Yeah, I've never seen one. I'd love to at some point. But would you see them scuba diving? Only once. Um, it's very. They're usually a very like 
deep animal or they'll be the only time they come to Cape Cod is really like the seals and stuff. I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to the ones up here, but right. I mean, down in Florida, I'd see bull sharks all the time or tiger sharks, but you'd have to go down to like 70 feet sometimes. So. Wow. So, so then after that, when you got the six point in New Hampshire and that is phenomenal footage, uh, people should watch that if, if they haven't. And then the nine point in New Hampshire, did you shoot that one on film? The, the six points, a four point actually. Oh, it's, it's a four, four point. point. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, He's a big yeah. four. It, 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 look, it looks like a six point cause it's a huge four point. But. No, that's cool. Big four points are cool. And then, yeah. so just for like time reasons, let's, yep. let's dive into the, buck you called moose the 220 pound sure massachusetts monarch now how did you how did you locate that buck how did you hunt that you can just go into detail on that one if you'd like sure um so i had known that this area had good genetics um just basically like e-scouting online and honestly seeing a couple posts and looking what counties had big deer yep um and i found this one town that i feel like was overlooked but had good genetics and driving around new hampshire you don't see bucks very often but down there i would see them pretty consistently in the summertime yeah so i I drove around to a bunch of different fields and i often go and knock doors for permission and i drove down someone's driveway and i saw the buck up in their horse pasture and i was like holy crap and he was there with um, another good seven or eight point that was probably three or four years old. And you could see he dwarfed him and the, I saw the non-typical rack and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask them for permission. And, uh, just basically knocked a bunch of doors and followed him throughout the summer. He ended up moving from July, yeah, let's see, July to September or end of August. He ended up moving like probably 0.7 of a mile uh, down the road or a mile as the crow flies. So not too far. And he was betting really close to a road in a swamp. Yep. Um, and he just felt really safe in there. He would come to the White Oaks in the morning and evening on that scrape area. And I just scouted the whole thing. I walked every single inch and then made a game plan. And I did not step foot in there for months like, after I had been done uh, scouting at the end of the summer, um, I just relied on the trail camera and just tried not to put any presence in there. No kidding. So you located him by putting eyes on him. Yeah, I put eyes on him, got it all on film. Um, and that was the way that I did it. And that's not something that you can do very often in New England. It's right. Almost never. Done. <laughs> so I, I was very lucky in that aspect of I found him and, was able to put a game plan together and it happened to work out. He ironically, he was probably, he was the hardest journey wise and amount of gas and different things, but he honestly didn't have a big core or didn't have a big core area. Like it was very, very small. I'd say the deer probably moved less than a mile for those two months. So he was a homebody buck. Yeah. But I do know from like what other people told me after I killed him, 
he moved quite a distance after October. No kidding. So <clears throat> you got him before the big shift then, like the big rut shift. Yep. Yep. He was he was still with a bachelor group, so he was the th- Yeah. I had to pass three three bucks before him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always said too with like New Hampshire, because I go over there and hunt um bow hunt early in the mountains. And if you can find green rubs in September, man, you can really do some damage over there because it's the bucks just don't go far. They're pretty predictable, you know, in a in a sense, and they're just, you know, they haven't done that big crazy shift. You know. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, we're good. But I 100% agree with the green rubs thing. Um, yeah. Me personally, I don't hunt signposts and I do not hunt rubs yep. unless they're green green rubs like that. I never hunt them. I don't pay attention to them. They mean nothing to me unless I'm trying to see if the rub has like certain indications that it's a big deer. But right. um what I'm trying to find is where the deer are going to be in daylight. Yep. I don't care if there's 50 rubs on a tree, if it's not a place that has security cover. Yep. You're getting into the thick stuff. Yep. Cool. So, or, or the edge of the thick stuff where he can see and then have the wind at his back. So, right. And so you must be, you must be getting pretty tight to these bucks beds when you're setting up. Correct? That one was probably I was I was two hundred yards probably from that bedding area. And you're using a climber, um, climber or a set a hunt light saddle. I would switch between the two depending on oh cool. Uh, depending on the hunt, um, for that one I was in my climber. Yeah, cool. So so that was that was the moose buck, and uh, that's a great video as well. So if people haven't seen that, they should check it out. Then you killed nine point New Hampshire, but let's go to the 127 inch buck you shot in New Hampshire. Run me through that one. Yeah. So that was about a mile and a half in. Um, there was this glorified pond that had a bunch of different pinch points going into a swamp. And in the past, it had been extremely good hunting. I mean, there would be 20. 30 scrapes on these islands. Um, I had to trek basically almost up to my knees in mud to get back. Um, But I was lucky enough that most of the hunters had gone away because all the sign had dried up. Yep. Um, But I found a doe group and I knew from past years when they would go into estrus because I write every single encounter down the wind, the temperature and kind of do that sort of thing because I find often even in New Hampshire, a buck will do the same thing within three days to a week the next year. Yeah. Um, and that's just a pattern that I've seen personally. So I use kind of that data to know when those does went into estrus. Um, cause each doe group is different. Even in the same state, a lot of deer go into estrus at different times. If, if it's fawns, they're going into estrus around December 15th. Um, so I narrowed down a doe bedding area and she came right under me and he came to 15 yards while I was in my saddle. Um, and just literally something out of a movie, just hearing that like tending grunt right on her tail. Like you could even hear the fluff. Sometimes when I call I do, uh, uh, 
because that's his his breath hitting her yeah uh, her tail and that's literally what it was you could you could see the frost wow. <laughs> coming off but uh it was yeah that was beautiful but that was right <laughs> after i missed the buck so i was really pissed and wasn't filming that day yep <laughs> i just missed a, a huge buck so i was i was very livid filming is not easy anyone that no. complains or says oh it's it's easy to film you do this okay we'll try filming without a camcorder where it's a manual zoom and not have a buck spook <laughs> no yeah filming is not easy it oh, really no, it's terrible dude i hate it yeah so like the biggest thing for me is like if it's getting deeper in the season and i haven't killed one yet it's hard to like tell a story with the camera when you're not like being successful, I guess is the easiest way to say it. It's like, it's hard to like keep that spirit up and film. Like you're going to kill the biggest buck of your life every day, which is what I try to do. But it's, it's definitely really hard to like keep the, that, I don't know. It's just extra. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, honestly, I got to the point where my GoPros kept dying and I didn't have one of those special like battery packs to plug in to keep it recording like you're doing for tracking. And uh, yep. when I in the muzzleloader like, time frame, so like October 31st to November 11th, I didn't see a buck over 100 inches for that period. And I literally texted it. I don't know if it was you or Connor and some of my other buddies. And I was like, I honestly want to stop hunting like this year. Like I might just hang it up. I was like, I, I know that sounded dumb cause I had already had like three bucks down, but I was at the yeah. point where I was just like, I'm hiking through this mountain laurel. I'm going miles back and I'm not seeing crap. And then I'll drive around and then I'll see deer on the road. Like I'm just sick of this. And that's <laughs> just the high road of hunting in new England. Yeah. And, and as of last year, it seemed like with, I don't know how the mass crop was by you, but it seemed like anywhere I was, there was no mass crop. So all the deer were kind of concentrated around houses and fields and lowlands. And so it makes sense that you were seeing a lot of deer when you were driving. Yeah. And it depended when I would go like probably an hour north of me. I'm right on the border of mass, like where I was at in mass lots of acorns this year no kidding but when i go 30 minutes north nothing it's yeah. like dead woods like that i don't even know what the deer would eat besides ferns like yeah. i'm like these deer are probably eating bark at this point like middle of the rut it's just it was felt like a barren woods oh they were eating hemlock they were oh, eat, yeah. they were eating hemlock during deer season last year it was so so little for feed the deer were eating hemlocks. They were digging ferns. There was some beech nuts, you know, here and there. Yeah, I had a couple, yeah. But it it just seemed like grass, shrubs on lawns, friggin' side of the road, eating in the medians. Like, it just, that seemed like that was where a majority of the deer were congregating. Yeah, I think swamps have been hot the last few years. Um, when you get a little north where there hasn't been acorns, because I'm telling you, the last two years, the last two falls, I haven't seen acorns on the ground past October 10th. 
really yeah, yeah. so like i've like last last season i got a buck in new hampshire on october 8th and that was in a little tiny patch of acorns that i had found just miraculously because it's like i just couldn't i just there's no acorns like i don't know what's going on if it's wet yeah. springs or I, I have no idea but yeah i i guess in that standpoint I, I guess it wasn't a mass crop by any means, but I, I helped my buddy get on like a three-year-old eight-pointer that any other year I would have shot. And I found these white oaks a couple of years ago. And this year I went in there scouting and there was literally maybe a 50-yard patch of white oaks that were just like hitting your head. Really? Just raining Not red white oaks? oaks we all know the difference between, I mean, deer in New Hampshire will pass three miles of red oaks to get to white oaks. That's the biggest thing I've learned. Yep. Um, and to get to those white oaks, this, this buck was traveling a great distance. And I kid you not at the same time, within two minutes, my buddy missed the buck. And then the next day we went back and the buck came back which never happens. And then he spooked it cause he moved and then it never came back. Oh my gosh. But, but it wanted the will to like eat the white Oaks was greater than the danger. Wow. There's like candy for those, for the deer. It's, it's like bait. That's it's the equivalent <laughs> yeah. to a corn pile that a deer relies on. Yep. He's going to go back there because he knows there's food there. It's no different in the suburbs. If someone has a really nice garden Part of my my understanding of what I think the suburban deer in mass get so big is it's because of all these rich people that are planting organic um, mulch, organic soil, organic plants, and it's just getting these deer bigger because they have an endless food source. Yep. These people just keep planting, and they're like, oh, the deer are cute. They can eat my plants all they want, <laughs> and then they just keep planting. It's an endless food source. Wow. No kidding. No, I, I've never thought of it like that. But yeah, I'm sure you're right. It's just like food plots behind every mansion. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so then, you killed the 163 in mass. Do you want to run run me through that one? Yeah. So that buck, I had had a couple pictures of him last year, um, but he had broken off his G fours on one side on his left side and never found any sheds, never got any pictures of him outside the rut. So I knew I wasn't really in his core area. Um, came back from college, graduated and put in a bunch of time in this town because it is a very, it's a very wealthy town. There's mansions, there's a, a lot of good pine areas for bedding and, I put in a bunch of time scouting for these deer and I set up on this one place I had permission. I've never killed a deer off posted land, um, but I hunt a lot of private land that I get knock on door permission. Yeah. And this one spot I watched literally at like right as the sun crested a buck, beautiful eight pointer. He had a chunk of red skin ripped off his chest from fighting on his neck and chest. Um, and he bred the doe right in front of me. Coolest thing I've ever seen. Wow. And I got it all on video. It's all on, all on my channel. And, uh, he, he tries to breed her then finally does. She runs off and then he goes right to the spot where he bred her and just puts his nose on the ground where he did. 
it was just the coolest thing. And then does some like more lip curling and then another little nine point comes out to chase. And then he runs that one off and it's just chaos. There's bucks everywhere. And to have that in new England is very rare. Right. Yeah, it is to have multiple bucks chasing after a doe and estrus. So that was just crazy. And then 30 minutes after that, I passed the biggest buck I've ever passed, probably 130, 140-inch eight-point. And I was like, I'm an idiot. I know there's a 160 in here, but I shouldn't be shouldn't be passing because it's probably a half mile down the road. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was dumb, and I was like, okay, I'm going to pass those deer. I waited till about noon. And then uh, drove down the road to check another spot where I had permission. I got it this summer, knocking doors. And right in the driveway, this buck is standing nose to a doe. Um, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I could have shot the deer from my car. Wow. Like, 15, 20 yards away from me. As soon as I open my car door, he sprints away and then looks back at me and snort wheezes. Wow. One of the coolest things I've ever had happen. And I could have legally shot him from their yard, but I was too close to the other houses because you have to be the 500 feet rule. Oh, yep. Um, so you have to get permission from multiple different <laughs> landowners. And with that spot, both of the other neighbors had told me no. So I'm like, if he's in the front yard, I can't shoot him. If he's in the backyard, way back there, I can. And I was like, well, he's not giving me that opportunity. So I did is I got right in my car. I went and got lunch and watched where they went. And then uh, I they bedded down near a swamp in this neighborhood. And I knew that he was going to try to push her to places like these bucks in the lockdown phase is what I call it. Like yep. They will push deer to places, whether it's a, a pivot in Idaho on a field or if it's in Maine up against the water, they'll, they'll push them up against places where you'll never see deer ever in yep. these neighborhoods unless it's the rut. And that's exactly what he did to her. He, he pushed her up against the swamp and they bedded down and you could hear him thrashing to try to push her and just exhaust her to the point where she couldn't move. So what I did is I just, I literally knocked like 30 doors, got 11 permissions out of that. Some of the people said, oh, we have someone hunting already here. Like, no thanks. No. <laughs> and a lot of the other people were liberals or yeah. had certain types of flags on their front doors where I was like, okay, that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't <laughs> even ask. One that's of the funny. people that gave me permission, ironically, was a vegan. <laughs> no kidding. And I, I worked my magic on that person. I mean, I begged and begged. I was like, <laughs> I, I literally told the lady, give me 48 hours. Like, just let me hunt for 48 hours. Because I knew after that point he would be gone yep. forever. So I, I got a lot of permissions just saying that. And uh, I I stick to my word on that. And I have them say it on the permission slip. So I got all the, I got my manila folder out, had people sign it. And uh convinced them and basically yeah so yeah so uh well first off i want to say real quick <laughs> we just had some technical difficulties here um my power just went out we just had a friggin hurricane b b blow through and uh my house about blew off the hill but we're back so <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad you and your wife are okay and the dog. <laughs> yeah, we're good. My golden retriever was a little worried there for a minute, but we're doing good now, so. Well, that's good. At least, yeah, at least you got your power back on. I was worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like we're going, you know, almost an hour into the pod and I just ghost you, just hang up, done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he was like, Kyle's ranting a lot. Let's kick him off. <laughs> I was yeah. like, all right. Take care. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough. We're in here. No, <laughs> that's funny. We'll, we'll cut them up. We get it. You killed the buck. No one <laughs> yeah. All right. So back back to the the one sixty three New Hampshire or the Mass one sixty three. I wish it was New Hampshire. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually seem like a good deer hunter if it wasn't. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. um, so. Where I think I was at in the story was the doe came past me at about 15 yards and the buck was chasing her um, because she wanted to get up to feed and the buck was pushing her um, and his rack was just thrashing through all the brush next to the swamp. And I'm not too far away from the houses that I had permission and he came perfectly right where I wanted to while I was in between the down logs. And I stopped him, and he uh, he looked at me like, what the heck are you? <laughs> Scared the crap out of him, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, I let it go, and I I punched that trigger worse than I've ever. <laughs> and uh, my legs just started jittering, and it, I don't know. I It looks like I flailed on <laughs> or flinched when I shot the bow, and that's never happened before. Um, but when you have a buck <laughs> that big, that close on the ground, Yep. versus in a tree stand it's not even comparable right now that's crazy being on the ground yeah so just basically i wouldn't call it a spot and stock i guess i did halfway but i knew i needed to get in his bubble when you're stalking a deer because i did that out in idaho so that helped me learn and be a little bit more aggressive right than i ever would because i normally would not have done that stuff in new england yep so it gave you the confidence. 100%, yeah. Because I, I had done it out there and it had worked. So I uh, I did that and got lucky enough to, to heart shot him and he ran 100 yards and the rest is history. My buddy came and then we had the probably the coolest interview I've ever had with a landowner. No kidding. How'd that go? Yeah, so, I, so I dragged it out and they were actually from Vermont originally. That's why she wasn't against hunting. Oh, cool. Um, and this lady, her son lived there. I think it's his place. And he's like 27 probably. And I come out of the woods and uh, I have blood on my hands. And he's like, did you get him? And I'm like, yep. And he starts swearing. And he's like, let's have it go. And he <laughs> I met this kid that day. Wow. I've never known. Like instant connection, like super funny. And uh, he, he's all happy. He obviously doesn't know what a big buck is, but he's like, yeah, I saw him in our backyard the other day and I was filming him on Snapchat and he ended up sending me a photo of it. I had no clue. And he's like, if I knew someone that hunted, I would have told him. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, I'm glad you didn't post that anywhere. Cause you would have had a million hunters knocking on your door. But, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. But I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It just, everything that could have gone right did go right. And to have, a buck like that i i've dreamed of harvesting bucks and i i messed up so many times i had six encounters with 
the tenth biggest New Hampshire buck ever killed. Um, it was a hundred and seventy nine inches, and that buck just ruined me. I that's when I learned to be happy of other people's successes when that didn't work out for me. How and as soon as that happened, I just what yeah. happened there? Um, I had hunted the buck, gosh, for two years, and he would come from Massachusetts to New Hampshire over the border, actually. And I had bumped him in a swamp, and from that point, I set up a game plan and saw him six times the next year. And he was about 170 inches then, and then... During that bow or during the bow season, I saw him six times, and then during the rifle season, I went back to college. Yep. And in Idaho, and a kid with a cell camera and a rifle shot it on his mom's or aunt's property. Wow. Uh, sim- similar. When I say kid, he's like my age, but um, it was his first buck ever or first deer ever. Um, and I, when I got the text from my buddy, he's like the bucks down like someone got him and i'm like you gotta be kidding me wow. and we all know wow. it's the same buck because there's not multiple bucks that are 170 inches roaming around <laughs> yeah right and, and the buck's just a perfect typical he ended up grossing 179 inches wow um, which put him at the top 10 and uh i don't know if that's been broken with like the clifton buck and all that stuff but uh gosh he he's just a beautiful deer and i texted the kid on Facebook messenger and sent him some uh, trail camera pictures. And I was like, here, here are the pictures. I'm like, honestly, trail camera pictures mean absolutely nothing to me. It's more the encounters I had in person of them. Right. Uh, that's, that's cool. Cause everybody gets trail camera pics of a big buck, but that honestly doesn't mean anything. I'd rather get the buck than get pictures of them. Sure. But uh, yeah, I just, I tried to be happy for him. And cause I, I was a little mad for about a month and I, really had to do some self-searching like kyle you're mad over a deer you don't own you're right right <laughs> it's a wild it's a wild animal yeah right you don't own it yeah i don't own the deer i don't own the woods right and we all we take hunting so personal because we invest so much time into it and that that's just because we love it it's not it's an addiction that's to, true you know, yeah to the extreme people um yeah. and that's why we love it. There's, there's highs and lows. And, uh, I, I express my like sincere, like gratitude to the kid and he's been super nice. And he even texted me the other day. He's like, dude, I saw you found a couple sheds. And I was like, yeah, you should check this spot in this spot where I found a couple near your house like in the area. And he found one the other day. So no kidding. It's, uh, it's, it's been a cool thing to like, just i'm not friends with them by any means but just chat over social media right no it's cool how like what like hunting will you'll make a lot of friends doing it that's for sure or like you know you'll meet a lot of people 100 percent. but also the other extreme i know a lot of people that get too egotistical and then they lose all their friends that is it that is a thing that unfortunately is the bad side of hunting that a lot of people don't talk about yep um especially with the social media sign like side of it. I, I hate the word influencer. It makes me want to puke. I'm just an outdoorsman. I'm a hunter. Yep. Yes. I make videos, but that I don't do it for sponsors. I don't do it for a lot of money. I make no money on YouTube, even though I'm monetized. Yeah. <laughs> like made probably 500 bucks on YouTube. Like yeah. total. 
Yeah, it's hard. You got to yeah. get a lot of it's. You got to get a lot of views to make money on YouTube. Yeah, I'm not Isaac Young. I don't have a hundred thousand <laughs> views on my track tracking videos. Dude, something <laughs> about those tracking videos just really do well. And I it's think the perfect niche, dude. That's it's that's perfect. it. It's just a niche because it's just not a lot of guys doing it. You know, I think and I, to do it on film is just right. The cold people just don't want to do it. Right? No, it's a pain. It's a pain. That's why a lot of guys don't do it. But it's uh, I like doing it, man. I, I'm along the same lines as you. I you know I do not call myself an influencer whatsoever. I just do it because you know I want to. I want my grandkids to be able to see my hunts one day. Exactly. That's I think that's the coolest that. thing. We're going to be the first generation that's going to be able to do that. So, 100%. Well, and the other thing is my dad has lived here for when he came from England. He was 12 to Newton, Mass is where he grew up. And living in New Hampshire the last 30 years, he's only seen maybe three bucks ever. Just like, and he drives every day. Yep. Um to work like an hour north and (laughs) when i tell him oh i saw a deer or oh i saw these bucks it's the classic fish story all the the bass was 10 pounds when it was four pounds or (laughs) whatever so i started filming originally for my family to prove that i wasn't an idiot (laughs) it's actually happening but then also for my future kids so yeah i I think that's pretty cool that's cool man well this has been a great podcast and, uh, you had an even better year and I, I just, I wanted you to get on here to just talk about it. I was really interested. I wanted to hear about it. And, uh, you know, I think you got a, a really bright future ahead of you when it comes to the outdoor space and, you know, keep it up, man. I really appreciate that. And anyone that is listening to this, I just want them to, to do their best. Don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. I think the worst time that I had this hunting season is I put pressure on myself yep. um, to try to get a buck, and that's when I did the worst. Um, I went out of my comfort zone and did the wrong things that I knew weren't right, um, and just that's when I didn't have success. And anyone else listening should go follow Isaac because he has some of the best tracking videos on YouTube. Uh, He's too oh, humble to admit it, it but uh, but uh, go follow his stuff. It's it's hard to kill any deer in New Hampshire or Vermont, and uh, you've you've killed some megas, dude. Thank you, I appreciate it. So, do you wanna you wanna plug all your stuff? Sure. Um, so it's KBB Outdoors on YouTube. Um, pretty simple. I have like an orange logo with antlers, and then the the name. Um, and then it's the same thing, just 2.0, um, for Instagram. And then the bows, bros and bucks podcast is, is also a part of that channel. So it's all one. So you don't need to get confused yep. on the YouTube. And, yeah, and that podcast, the podcast is on all platforms as well. That one is only on YouTube cause okay. I'm too lazy to buy Spotify. <laughs> I don't, to be honest, the podcasts are more just like, I just want to hear stories from people and post it for content. I, I don't care about being religious weekly. No, I it. hear you. I hear you, man. You and you yeah. do a great job. I've been on it, and uh, you're you're good on <laughs> so it. Bad. What's that? So bad. 
No, it's, it's so good. Fast. I've it's I've watched a bunch of them. The one you had with John Eberhart, and there's been others that I've watched too. You do a good job. Well, I appreciate that. I uh, like I said, sometimes I, I love hunting more than anything, and uh, sometimes I get talking too much. But uh, it's important to let the guests speak. So thank <laughs> yeah. you for letting me rant. No, man, it's been great, and uh, yeah, so. I'm sure I'll get you back on the podcast at some point. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, man. No problem. I'll have to meet up with you, Connor and Nate sometime and we can uh, go to lunch or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll do something. All right, boys. We'll see you on the next one.